Hello, I'm Howard and welcome to the 9320 Podcast Friday Show. The show that stocked up on Bog Roll again and saw the big picture in the dream last night. Where every team had to play in red and leagues were only won by the Liverpool Livers and the Manchester Chevrolets. We'll pass, thanks. Even Gary Neville has got better suggestions. Delighted to be joined by three luminaries on this crisp Friday morning, uh, namely Jack Gorn, first of all. Good morning, Hello, Jack. Hello, mate. You right? How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Yourself? Uh, yes, all right. Not bad. Yeah. I'm t- sick of Manchester being treated as a Petri dish. <laughs> yes. Which is we- what scrolled across one of the walls on Piccadilly Gardens this morning. Yeah. Well, nice phrase, to be honest, yeah. But it's not going away, is it? No. We won't discuss politics on this show, though, because I'll probably... Uh, Go on for about two hours. So, yeah. Also joined this morning by Lloyd. Good morning, Lloyd. Morning, Howard. How are we? Uh, not bad. Yourself? New place? New place. London just into tier two. Everyone's uh, seems to have forgotten that Manchester's been in it for, what, ten weeks? Ten weeks, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I'm all right, mate. Not that it's made any difference to anything, but... We've yeah, got indeed. till midnight tonight, have you not, so... Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, which will mean just carnage tonight instead. Uh, never sorry. works. No. Uh, and finally, joined by State. Morning, State. Morning. Fuck the Tories. <laughs> well, we, did so, we did so well getting this fast. It's what we're all thinking. <laughs> uh, how are you doing anyway? I'm fine. How's yourself? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Looking forward to the return of uh, proper football or not? Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's just basically play pretend the last couple of weeks it's good yeah. to get back to the real stuff we'll probably touch on that briefly in a bit uh, but let's get cracking the big story this week not going to spend the whole show on it obviously uh, Jack can I start with you project yep. big picture uh, it was unanimously <clears throat> voted down in Wednesday's uh, meeting over Zoom mm. no doubt that was probably not surprised it got voted down the fact it was unanimous is very suspicious uh what do you think happens now obviously there's been new plans put forward by the likes of i think david bernstein in conjunction with an an eclectic mix of people from gary neville uh and including andy burnham like how's andy burnham how's he got time to be kind of devising <laughs> plans for the restructuring i think the he's clock that, everton, clock that everton are on the rise and he's, he's seen an <laughs> opportunity yeah <laughs> <laughs> Busy man, obviously, but I assume they've been working on this one for about six months anyway. Not the three years of Project uh, whatever it's called, Big, Big Picture. So where, your thoughts on what's happened this week? Uh, are you surprised it was voted down? Was it always doomed to failure? And where do you think we go from here? The Those those plans, as, as they were set out, were always doomed to failure. There's a little bit of conjecture as to whether they were ready to roll out the plans or not. They say that it got leaked too early. Um, others suggest that it was it was oven ready. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't then. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I don't know how how happy they were um, about it coming out. I just I read it on Sunday morning when when it got released. And I just thought this is just awful. Uh, power. Yeah, everyone says it's a it's a power grab. Just. The special voting rights element to it. Um, I know City would obviously have a have a place at that table, but it's just it's so wrong. Um, and it, yeah, there's been there's been some disheartening things that have happened this week since like the 
I did a story on Monday night saying that the EFL were were split on on the details of the plan, uh, and then Tuesday afternoon the EFL do a, a round table that's basically a whitewash where some of the um, some of the chief execs come out and use the words like no dissent and unanimous and everyone's behind it when that was just absolute rubbish. They yeah. were never ever going to vote for that plan as it was. Quite a few, well, everybody liked elements of it, um, but the, you know, the structure as it was presented would, would never get, was never going to get voted through the Premier League and would never have got voted through the EFL and it was a complete non-starter. But the good thing about it is that it start, it's, it's now kind of started a debate on what, what they do from here on in but that needs to happen quickly because if it can't if that can't happen or if a bailout for the smaller teams can't happen without a restructuring of the league it needs to happen in the next needs to be sourced in the next eight weeks otherwise there are clubs going to go to the wall but you can see the appeal for the EFL teams leaving out the power grab element of it are you surprised that the EFL was not unanimous in voting it through, or did some of the chairmen see the wider picture where this? You've got, you've got to see term. the wider picture. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think if the if the power grab element wasn't there, and to a lesser degree the the abuse of the loan system wasn't there, I think it gets voted through. But then there's always a trade off, isn't there? The United United Liverpool and the rest of the top six, including City, would want um, they would want big advantages for. For throwing money at the lower divisions, which let's be honest, they don't really care about, do they? No. Have you heard much about the new, the new uh, thing put forward by Bernstein? I was going to say which one. There's like three or four on <laughs> at the set, running in parallel to each other. I mean, no, there's. I've not heard that much about the, the Bernstein one. There's not a great deal of detail at all. Um, I mean, I did. I did get sent the big picture plan that Greg Clark sent across to people. Yeah. And that, like, honestly, that's a couple of different fonts and different colours away from being used in a GCSE project. <laughs> it's just an absolute... I'm just, I'm reading it now. This is just an example of what could happen. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Elite club football in England is so is reconfigured to two divisions of 18 clubs nominally called Premier League and one, one and two with the objectives of lifting the number of... limiting the number of games... And establishing common governance, the EFL is then reconfigured to combine leagues one and two together with the National League and National League North and South, and comprising five divisions. So basically, they want the top two divisions, and then the rest of them just to do their own thing. Yeah. So what's that, Jack? Is it was that draft one essentially? Was that an earlier? That was draft? that was a. It must have been a later draft because it's been sent to it's been sent to people right. uh, on behalf Clark. I mean that is. It's just for me as a football league fan, that's not palatable at all. Do you do you know City's uh, stance on this? City have uh, not said anything. Um, they're remaining neutral on it. Um, as I predicted, I, I, I finally got a prediction right. <laughs> they keep the voice down. So yeah, I I don't think it. To be honest, I don't think it serves any of the other clubs in the top six or top eight or whatever any good to be talking about it until mm. they could gauge what the what the reaction was like from uh, the other clubs up and down the pyramid. I don't see any reason why City should have come out on Monday or Tuesday and said we're backing it or we're not backing it because it doesn't. I don't think it would do them no favours either way. So they, I think they've done the right thing in just 
seeing how it plays out. Uh, stay as subscribers will know, we the whole of the Wednesday debate was about this, but as you hosted, you probably didn't get the chance to give your thoughts on this. Uh, so do you want to give your thoughts on the week and where do you think there's elements that we can take from here and move forward? Well, yeah, there's certainly elements. Uh, there's elements within the proposal which kind of made sense. Of course there was. Um, ultimately, it comes down to negotiation tactics 101 for me, or that's what it looks like from my yeah. perspective anyway, where you know you put forward all these kind of listed demands, some of which are entirely unreasonable, um, knowing that these unreasonable ones will be kind of, you know, bartered down and then you're left with a very good deal that you're happy with and you probably would have wanted in the first place so yeah um whether that succeeds or not i mean it, it was obviously shouted down this week um i think i think and i hope that liverpool and united and the individuals kind of involved in this have been surprised and shocked by the reaction um of course they're probably you know expecting a negative response but the actual welter of kind of criticism that's come their way i wrote recently about how footballers just got this really weird relationship with pr where they're obsessed with positive pr they'll they'll throw vast amounts of money in order to secure positive pr even when it comes down to you know a new signing and kind of you know all the big unveiling and and such or a new kit of course but negative pr they just do not give it a shit about i mean they just don't care i mean fans are still going to buy the shirts in normal times still going to go to games um, whereas rival fans are going to criticise them regardless and they just don't care but there is a limit to that and I think we've seen that limit being you know kind of exceeded this week as regards to the criticism of these top six or you know Liverpool and United primarily um, it's just been across the board and, and the really interesting thing for me is how there's been a, a, a kind of a uh, a chasm now between you know a chism in, in the top six and in the Premier League as a whole. I mean, it's been so divided because the Premier League, if united, are an incredibly powerful force. I mean, they could you know basically do what they want. They could take on countries, but it's been absolutely split. And and the, the amount it's been split. As well, when you hear about the stories about how the Everton. Um, director kind of demanding an apology from Liverpool for their actions um, and I can't remember her name now, Susan um, is, is it, she's the CEO I think at Leicester uh, and how she like, weighed into them as well this week I mean that's really revealing I mean the Premier League's at war with itself right now Yeah it's politics though, they'll still be <laughs> I'm sure they'll group up when uh, the need arises uh, Lloyd do you get the the hardest question, I apologise and played devil's advocate here this is what, obviously, the likes of Henry and Glazers would say. Perhaps all the big six would say this, and we'll discuss the big six in a minute. Uh, should Is there an argument that the big six have a right for more control, as they are what make the league money and make it a global attraction? Because let's be honest, you know, away from fairness, it is teams like City United, Liverpool United, uh, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs that are getting us £500 million deals in China for pay-per-view, you know, a few years ago. It's not Burnley or Southampton or even Newcastle. Is there any argument that where they're coming from, that they have right to more money and more control, is fair because they are make they are what make the Premier League global? Yeah, I think there is, actually. Um, I do think that there... I think it's, I think it's fair and that there is scope that you... 
that you could increase the big sixes kind of um, be careful how you phrase this kind of control over what the Premier League is but I think I think the problem is it needs to be proportionate and I don't think the well the current proposals were were definitely not I mean I think the way that Project Big Picture was kind of was put forward is it really it was it was a lot of sugarcoating around what was essentially a very strong power grab that ceded ultimate control to the top six where they could veto you know foreign owners coming in um, where they increased their voting rights to basically control pretty much every decision because they would need six of the nine with uh, I think it was West Ham Everton and Southampton at the moment Um, I think that was too far but I understand why you know not just from a football point of view but from a business point of view the big six would want slightly more control now how that how that would look given that you have 20 teams and how you kind of structure the voting rights I think is a difficult question but in theory I'm not totally opposed to them having slightly more power but I think it would need to be it does need to be proportionate because what you don't want is like Gary Neville said and I think this is why his proposal is quite interesting you don't want City, United, Liverpool, Spurs, etc. running English football. They've all been, I mean, they've all been banging the drum for an independent regulator and like a financial ombudsman for oh, well over a year now. And yeah. that seems to be the crux of Neville's. Yeah, um, I think that's a really plan. good idea. Yeah. But I, that, I mean... How do you get to, independence though? Well, I was going to say, you've got, you've got to get that appointment right because if you get that wrong, then that opens... A serious kind of worms. It'd be Sir Alex Ferguson, wouldn't it? Well, that's it. Whoever <laughs> it is will have had a link to some team, some fight, and the arguments, and it will be under government remit under their plans as well, which always mm. sends a shiver through my spine. Uh, the one to- thing I would say about the the top six, and I take I take the point that they are one of the, one of the main reasons why the TV revenues uh, abroad, well, for the foreign rights, have, have skyrocketed. We were in uh, Shanghai for the Premier League Asia Trophy last year when City were there and Newcastle were were playing and we were in the uh, team hotel in Shanghai and honestly there was tens of locals following Steve Bruce around the lobby (laughs) and like wouldn't leave him alone and yeah I I understand that he, he used to play for United and you know he's a big player in the in the Premier League, but he's been a manager for twenty years in in the Premier League, and people are still following him around. Which and a successful author, don't forget. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I I just found that fascinating. You know, you've got Pep Guardiola in that hotel, but everyone was following Steve Bruce around. Yeah, um, which just it obviously that's only one example. It's you know well that's well, that's the point. Newcastle, if they were <laughs> successful, you know, if they went into top four, won the league or something would then become more global. And by definition, I think they would. You know, they'd be able to reach out just as City have on their journey. So it, it's the entrenchment, really, of, you know, this appeal. And it's also... I mean, Steve, would you... Is it fair to say that the teams that have the global appeal should run a league? Or should a league not be about that, to be honest? Yeah, I, I largely disagree with what Lloyd said. Um, as regards to the top six should not have any more influence than any other club in, in the Premier League or beyond because it's fluid, the top six. City weren't part of the top six till a decade ago. Um, so should Newcastle be taken over tomorrow, then it's fair to assume that in 10 years' time there's every chance that they'd be part of the top six. So what are you going to do? Are you going to kind of readjust that then? I think you then? can build that in, though. I think you can build that in. Just Perhaps. like 
just like you had, just like it was with West Ham, Southampton, and Everton. Yeah, no, perhaps, but I mean, it also comes down to what's right and what's just, and whether they deserve to have more influence. And that I really don't think that is the case at all, because you know, United and Liverpool and City and Arsenal and Spurs and Chelsea, they are the most successful and biggest clubs in England because everything's stacked in their favour. You've got to kind of break down the doors and kind of as City did and kind of, you know, get to that top table. But once you're at the top table, no one's really moving you from that top table. You have to really mess up to get, you know, kind of ejected from that top table. You are lavished with fortunes from Champions League money and from that you buy the best players. So you you remain in the Champions League. you're, You're basically privileged. So you should be rewarded for that privilege. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. And as no. regards uh, being the top six, I I mean, there is a top six, of course there is, but like, Villa have won the European Cup, City haven't, Spurs haven't, Arsenal haven't. You'd back Leicester to finish way above United this season. So I, I, it really annoys me how we, we just flippantly say the top six, like it's established in stone. Well, it's anything top, but. The top six normally make up the top four, but they don't always finish in the top six. So obviously Arsenal finished outside the top six. I mean, they do most of the time. But I agree with you that the Champions League is where the advan- they've already got this advantage financially, the big yeah. teams, not through the Premier League, through the Champions League, which is really, I mean, in other countries, it's been even more stark where you'll get, you know, I don't know, a Greek team or a t- you know, Belarus team that, because they're getting Champions League money, will just dominate that league for years and years and years and there's no coming back from that. Yeah. But there's still a huge advantage, obviously, for being in the, in the Champions League. That's why... F- getting that fourth spot is so important for many teams every season uh, imagine if United hadn't got that you know, at the end of last season so the advantage is there and yeah it's got to be proportionate but I think they've already got enough of an advantage to be honest Absolutely. and I, yeah I just think it should be fluid as well uh, but, but as we said on Wednesday it's, we're not in that world anymore, we're already halfway there anyway, this is just a continuation of what we already have and also but, let's, not, let's not lose a sight lose sight of the fact that Southampton, West Ham and Everton were included in that just as a Yeah, um, it's just a random number though, isn't it? I mean yeah. why nine? Why <laughs> well, not dude, eight? Why not well, ten? Why not twelve? Because you, you know because you were the sixty six percent of the top nine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean for all credit to West Ham for coming out, being the first to come out I think as well against this. I mean they were included in the kind of, you know, the big gang, the cool gang in school. Kind of oh, come and join us, and they were they were the ones saying no. Actually, I'd, I'd rather not, and I think that had a big impact. Yeah, never give credit to West Ham's own. I know it felt wrong it, as, <laughs> as, as it was coming out of my lips. It felt wrong. That virtual <laughs> yellow card has just been raised. <laughs> <laughs> I've got and, a lot of time for Karen Brady. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no <you don't. laughs> uh, Lloyd, do you believe? I mean, Parry, Henry, Glazers, etc. Obviously, do the PR thing that Steve hinted at earlier. Do you believe that this was really ever? concocted as a starting point for discussion or did you do you think they honestly thought it would be passed well I mean that's that requires a, uh, a dive into the heads of the uh, of the American big boys doesn't it um, yeah. which is impossible but I, I would have thought you know they, they have a pretty I would think they'd have a decent understanding of English football and kind of the culture and what's going on so if they thought that this was going to pass then I think um, that would have been very naive of them. I imagine this is probably something to kind of kick the ball rolling. Um, and, you know, for me, I think it is clear that, yes, there is the financial kind of element that, that 
obviously the big six have have that generally with the Champions League, or at least four of them do. But I think ultimately this is about a corporate governance thing. And once you get the control in the boardroom, you can basically then do anything, and the money will flow. You know, the loan market can be changed, etc. So um, no, I, I I do think it was more them just kind of probably putting something out there. But I think they would have. I mean, it does sound like they were very unhappy with how it's leaked and. I've just read Adam Crafton's piece in um, in the Athletic this morning, which is saying the city are completely blindsided by this. Apparently, so um, it does look to be something that's cooked up mainly between Liverpool United. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting. I, and I do. I'd like to read a bit more about Gary Neville's idea because I do think having a kind of seeding, well, in any normal times, giving kind of the, an independent organisation over to be regulated by the government I think is a great idea but giving anything to this government is a terrible idea so <laughs> maybe that should wait a few years well, if, if, you want, if you want to get to the heads of people like Henry and Fenwick Glazers it is very easy mate you just you know that scene then have you ever seen Scrooge McDuck where he's just diving into a swimming pool full of gold coins yeah that's, that's, that's their mindset that's basically what they think day in day out yeah, well, the uh, Neville, I'm the, sure. the Neville model includes fan input on boards and stuff, but it involves like looking at the German model of ownership. But how yeah, how could they possibly get it? this through anyway? What the the project big picture? No, the new stuff that I mean, why would any of the big six, you know, <coughs> agree to a, a more German style <coughs> ownership model of clubs and fan input? It's just not in their interest, too, is it? Well, and they're already powerful enough to bat such things away. Let's see. I mean, I think that has literally come out like within 24 hours, hasn't it? So I think oh. they obviously need to study that a bit closer. I, mean, I, I know what you mean. The, the German licensing model, um, while successful, I'm not sure that's something that would take off in the UK. But no, I agree with that. But it's called the Saving the Beautiful Game Manifesto. First of all, <laughs> that's lovely. And secondly, I'm, I'm always in for a manifesto. I love a manifesto, so I'm backing it just based on that. Yeah, it don't work as an acronym, though. You need a, a good acronym to, to get something going. STB, yeah, yeah. it's awful. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> we'll think of something up for next week. <laughs> uh, I Steve, the, the Brexit analogy that I... Uh, I took out of the. I've remembered it now. So I'm going to ask Jack. Well, anyone can answer this final question. The thing I was saying about Brexit is like a lot of people said, well, if if you weren't in the EU, you wouldn't join it, would you? And I, the argument obviously is, well, we are in it, and it's the pain of leaving it that makes it, you know, not worthwhile leaving. And my argument was, if you were starting English football now from scratch, no, on this little country, this little island of the, north of Europe. And you were making there was no clubs or anything. You wouldn't, you wouldn't set it up like it is now, would you? You wouldn't have ninety-two teams in such a small country. But the fact is, we have had it, and we've had it for over a hundred years. And that was what I was trying to say. Uh, and it has generally worked. Only the yeah you know, before recent troubles, only the odd team you know has gone bust or out of existence since Victorian times. And it's a system that we've somehow made worked and is. Yeah, part of the the global image that English football has, I think. It's not just about the Premier League, even if the top six take all the a lot of the attention. So Jack, I'm just gonna ask you if if the global pandemic had never happened, do you still think the pyramid does need restructuring and that this starting point of the talks would have happened anyway? Yeah, I would have a uh, I'd have a ninety two team league and get them all to play every six hours. 
You know what? I'd watch them all as well. These players get paid enough money. Um, No, I think... Does it need... In my view, it doesn't, to be honest. I don't think it does. Um, I think there needs to be better distribution of the the wealth. Trickle down, um, yeah. From the top to bottom. But I don't really... Other than... Other than the arguments about the national team and uh, player fatigue and everything that goes with that, I don't really see a reason why it should be restructured. Um, if if everybody's given a fair crack financially, there is no reason why there can't be 92 sustainable clubs in, in the Football League. Yeah. It's twofold as well. I mean, if the wealth is better distributed and more fairly distributed then it's it, it's there's two benefits to that i mean firstly of course you know there's there's more um financial stability in the lower leagues but also the uh, one of the biggest problems i think in kind of modern football is clubs in the championship being within one kind of good season away from you know the riches of the premier league and they're you know they're spending far beyond their means yeah uh, and, and so that would hopefully kind of um, limit that as well. Getting rid of the parachute payments is going to be massive, and that will yeah. happen. Mm. Yeah, that'll be yeah. a big thing. I think a little. But I mean, it, the thing is, yeah, trickle down doesn't really. I don't think it prevents what happens at Berry or Macclesfield. You know, look, look, look at Berry, and it was asset stripping, and you know, there's just as many questions should be asked about the EFL and the fit and proper test. And, Absolutely. And I think, I've not really read much into the Neville things, but I think there is something in there about, you know, banning, basically, sale of assets from clubs as well. And that that is something that certainly needs to be looked at. So, right, let's crack on. Uh, we've had a two-week international break. Lloyd, was it worth it? I've put in the agenda. Uh, I was expecting <laughs> carnage on the COVID front. And whilst, obviously, there have been incidents... Perhaps we wouldn't list it as carnage. Now, I assume uh, associations, countries' associations, needed these games to go ahead for money. I also assume UEFA, FIFA have got vaults full of gold, basically. Uh, have got a huge reserves of cash that really could have covered this. Are you angry that we've played interna- international games, especially when you look at England having played a friendly as well? Was there really a need to play three games in this break? No. <laughs> uh, should I move on? I mean, it, I mean it's just, it was, it's just. I think this like international break and how it's been structured is just. just it, these are just like the worst bits about modern football. Like that, they, that this has had to happen, and you know, I, I think it was you that said it initially, like a few weeks ago, Howard. But you know, just mixing players from all over the world on planes and hotels meeting other teams like it's just it just defies any logic given the circumstances in the world at the moment and covid and how cases are rising again it's just a pure financial exercise um which is weird because i i I'd have thought actually that most of the money for these games is generated from fans going to the games but maybe i don't know them being TV, on tv has know. been important but obviously it's ridiculous and the fact that England have played three games I mean what the hell is that about it's just totally stupid the season's already completely stretched I think there's a really strong argument that they should just have two weeks off and just allow the players basically just to regenerate because I think there's now 16 games between now and Christmas for us Um, and you know I I know people don't like rugby but I think 
rugby do a pretty good job of ensuring and they, you know they have it statute statutorily to kind of basically ensure that there are no games basically between in like six day periods and I'm not saying it should be exactly like that for football but there should be something that limits the amount of games that's played in you know say in a month period or something like that because it, it is it is ridiculous and I think when when squads are being stretched by um, by COVID and you know Bernardo having it or you know Laporte getting it Maris having it etc players are going to have to play more this season and I just think it's it's just a mess mm. At stake, we've got a five-minute limit on England. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, obviously, you're a huge England fan. Uh-huh. <laughs> with uh-huh. Uh, do you think Southgate's has his rating gone up or down over these <laughs> last three games? Well, the enthusiasm here. <sighs> We're all chomping at well, the bit. The thing is, at half-time against Belgium, I was just so ready to lay into him, and then they win, I was like... Oh, fair enough. He's, you know, Belgium haven't lost a game in two years. I mean, most teams haven't played a game for about half a year. I thought, well, fair enough. He's getting the results, and you know, he's not. He's and then they've had to play with ten men, of course. But he put he put Maguire on the pitch, and even before the goal, thankfully I wasn't watching it live. It's just a team full of defenders a lot of the time, and when we've got the talent we've got, I just find it so frustrating in a way. Uh, Anyone want to talk about Southgate? I'll, yeah. I'll talk about yes. Jack Grealish quickly. In that, I've seen comparisons with Paul Gascoigne and Atta Ludacris. Yeah, we're getting so, a bit ahead of ourselves, aren't we? Yes, we are, absolutely. But there is one comparison with Gascoigne which was quite revealing to me in that traditionally England managers tend to have one player, that, which is usually their most creative, exciting player, a fan favourite, if you like, who they just don't fancy. I mean, you can go right back to the 70s on this, every England manager. And yet there's exceptions, and when those exceptions happen, say Bobby Robson and Paul Gascoigne, then it leads to a really exciting era for English mm. football. So I get why people are really frustrated at Southgate as regards to his omission of, of, of Grealish. Um, he's clearly got some kind of problem with him, um, to the extent where maybe even it goes beyond just you know not thinking he's going to fit into this, the style of football that he wants. Um, but so that's kind of revealing to me. It's like the more he comes under pressure, and I think that will be the case now with Southgate, people are, are starting to look past the waistcoat, uh, then I, I think he may well have to turn to someone like Grealish and just try and get the fans back on board. Um, so that's all I've got, really. The man is just a, a charisma vacuum, and I don't rate <laughs> him as a manager. Uh, he's incredibly mediocre, um, and he shouldn't have got the job in the first place. And he got lucky because with a good tournament, and everyone got all excited over a bloody waistcoat. So uh, yeah, Steve, I, I saw. Um, sorry, I saw uh, Grealish described as more than just a want once in a generational talent. <laughs> I saw him last week. Oh dear. And I, I love that. Clicked, I clicked the big X on Twitter and went, that is enough international football for me. Yeah. Thanks very much. That's yeah. like, give it 110%. <laughs> just amazing. Astonishing. Yeah. I feel sorry for Mount in a way because it's nothing to do with him in a way. I mean, he could have replaced Rashford who's been off the boil, but yeah, and Mount's a good player, but it seems to be Grealish or Mount seems to be the yeah, argument. Yeah, I, I just agree see, that. And it yeah. just seems, because a lot of people don't rate Mount, it's just building it's, up Grealish into something like yeah, you know, <laughs> a mix of Maradona and Pele and everything else put together. So, just, uh, just, just the thing is, though, I think about the Southgate thing is, well, first of all, 
Steve look past the way look past the waistcoat is such a good saying that is <laughs> love that um, but I think how can you <laughs> to, 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 be slightly, to be slightly more serious I do think <laughs> with Southgate this has been for me it's it's been like a creeping thing that's been coming for the last 12 to 18 months I think his team selection has just been rubbish um, given the players that he's got kind of on his books I think the persistence with three at the back is doesn't make any sense with this England team I don't think um, I understand that we are lacking like a midfield controller but I think you can get that um, I think you can you can fudge that enough playing what like a 4-3-3 three, three and you know we've actually now got so many good players and so many of them are just regularly on the bench um, that it is it is frustrating um, so I think the calls for Possibly his head are probably going to intensify, I would imagine, over the next kind of six months or so. I think so. I think it's premature at this point, but no, you he's, can he's, see where it's going. He's safe yeah, for yeah. the finals. He's safe for the Euro finals. Yeah, yeah, he's he not is. going to get sacked for the Nations League because, you know, we've said it's not that important. Well, I've said it's not that important. So it would be hypocritical of me to slag him off. And of course, he was without a lot of players and we shouldn't have been playing these games anyway and the strange times. But we've not won anything for 60 years. We've only ever won one thing. Just what a manager goes for it. Yeah, just, just go yeah. for it. Just well with this with this group of players. Just be to be honest, with those players, yeah, just attack. This just, is yeah. I, the whole once in a generation thing about Grealish is very funny. But better in, than once England, in a generation. England, <laughs> <laughs> once every three sorry. generations. Sorry, um, but I think it, you know England are quietly building a, a pretty good team, particularly up front, and you could have a generation in a couple of years where you know you've got. Established Kane, Sancho, Sterling, Rashford, Foden, Grealish, Greenwood, etc., who are all you know going to end up being top players. So you do need you do need a you know someone that can obviously get the best out of them. And if that's not Southgate, which looks like it might not be beyond the Euros, then yeah, they'll have to be moved on. It'd be interesting. I think the FA. I wonder whether the FA might have a proper reshuffle from top to bottom in the summer because John McDermott's taken over as technical director or whatever the role's called. Um, the under-21s will change their manager next summer and they probably want to make those two appointments at the same time for continuity and have a proper link between the uh, the seniors and the 21s. So I wouldn't be surprised if it is also Southgate's last um, last tournament. Yeah, all I would say, it's, it's international manager, it's hard to get the best in the world sometimes. So it's a, a strange job in a way. Where, yeah. Pep? Pep? No comment. Wenger. Final question. Uh, State, does Maguire deserve sympathy? That's all I've got. Next. I don't know. I can't really... Well, he shouldn't have been played. Clearly he shouldn't be played. Clearly he's not in the right headspace. And, um, you know, he, he needs looking after right now by his club and international manager. Um, and he's, he's not, you know, he's not getting that protection, really. He, he can't be... Like, for example, next Tuesday, he's coming up against Neymar and Mbappe. Um, it's, yeah, but sympathy, no. No. Um, you know, he's, he's, for what he's being convicted of, and I know he's, he's going to appeal and all the rest of it, and I know there's conflicting storylines around it, but given what happened out there in Greece, um, this happens to footballers, and uh, no, it does. I've, I've seen people go too far... Basically, it's a Twitter thing where people have to take these kind of mm. polarised views. 
and neither neither are true in, in this case. I mean, he certainly doesn't need kind of you know people jumping on his back right now. He's got enough going on. I'll give him that. Um, but I've also seen people say, like I saw a, a friend of mine who's actually been on the podcast a couple of times say, um, "Oh, we never asked for what happened in Greece." Well, that's just completely excusing him. <laughs> Come on. So yeah, he did just, ask uh, by going out on the lash. Yeah, exactly. So but, I mean, no, he did it. It's a delicate topic i understand i wouldn't say he deserves sympathy i'll, I'll definitely yeah. say that anyway I, but I know, he doesn't I, deserve kind of condemnation either at this point because you can see he's not in the right headspace and and if we are going to put forward all these kind of you know mental health matters and kind of all these kind of campaigns and whatnot which of course i'm thoroughly behind with the history i've got with that um we can't be hypocritical and just kind of lay into him and the city fans you know we've seen you know what's happened in the past with people like raheem so um, from my perspective, I'm just stepping back, really, and just hoping that his, his managers protect him. Yeah. Uh, Jack, your thoughts on that? The reason I put it in is because I think it was uh, Jamie Radnap talked after the match about, I didn't watch it all, but, you know, about players like this who are going through a bad place, and what he said was true, but then that naturally triggered comments saying, well, where were you when Sterling was being yeah, going through all yeah. this? And it, I'd rather just look forward now. I... I appreciate you're right. When players are going through hell, they are human beings after all. But there is that caveat that he has been... I wasn't there in Greece. Maybe he was stitched up. Maybe he's just protecting his sister. None of us really know. That's the point. But the fact is he's been found guilty of assault and you know and whatnot. And it's... Yeah, it's, it's where do you stand on that? Is it just best that he has a break from football <coughs> for now, do you think? I have no idea because none of us have been professional footballers yeah. and none of us are inside his head. So it's, anyone making any sort of judgment on him, I just like, I think it's impossible. Um, but his so, game you know, has been worse, obviously, yeah, than I mean, ever before. Some, yeah. Sometimes footballers use playing the game as a release. Yeah. And maybe he, I don't know, maybe he continues to be picked because he he what he, he t- he's telling them that I want to well. He is telling them that he wants to be picked. Yeah. I don't think Harry Maguire is the sort of person that turns around and says, "Can I have two weeks off?" Yeah, um, it's, it's it's a really really difficult question to answer without knowing the full facts of what happened, um, and without knowing what he's thinking. It's what do you? I mean, from Southgate's point of view, he doesn't have a good centre. He, he doesn't own any good centre halves, so he's probably from a selfish point of view, you'd want Harry Maguire playing. Well, there are some. That's probably not the right way to look at it, but mm, there fun- are. I mean, there's something good for. Fundamentally, there's an argument. There's an argument that um, f- I, I agree with what you just said there, Jack. But I think there's an argument that um, purely on footballing reasons at the moment, Maguire probably even shouldn't start. And I, and I think that's sounds almost wild to say because England have terrible centre back options, but he's been awful this season, and he, and his head doesn't look right. So I think I think there is an argument actually to say. Is he one of England's best three centre backs at the moment? I, I I actually think there's an argument to say he's not, on given how he's played. No, being captain, he's probably why he's been kept in, and and that annoys me. The hypocrisy of you know he has been convicted of something. It's gone to appeal, and in Greek law, that nullifies it in the time being. But that's just uh, that's just wording, you know. Uh, it's like us going down the cast route again. Well, we've appealed now, so we're innocent until they find us guilty again. Uh, but he obviously is. His club captain, it's the hypocrisy of Southgate that wouldn't punish him for that, but would punish other players for obviously the likes of Foden and 
Greenwood. You know, and I agree with the punishments. But anyway, well, it's worked out quite well for Foden and Greenwood, hasn't it? Because they've had two weeks off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, much needed for City as well. Right, let's move on. Before we look at our preview, City's big match returned to the Premier League. And there's another big match that starts off the early game on Saturday, which is the Merseyside derby. Uh, Stay. simple question, is this Everton's best chance to win a derby in a decade plus? Because yes. their record is appalling. Yeah, it's absolutely their best chance, um, unquestionably so, um, to go in, into this game ahead of Liverpool in the league. And in better shape, it could be argued as well, given the, the 17 rolling at Villa and, and possibly what psychological impact that could have on, on Liverpool. Um, historically, in you know, recent history, games at Goodson Park, Merseyside derbies have not been thrilling. Um, three goals in the last six games at Goodson in the derbies, goal every 180 minutes. But then you can balance that out with... You know the, the glut of goals we're seeing across the Premier League, so that in itself is is kind of fascinating to me. Um, what what I want, and I, you know, I'm not going to put myself forward as, as a neutral here. I'll be very much supporting Everton on Saturday, and what I really want is for the Toffees to just play their usual game or as much as they can do that within the environment of a derby. Um, to not kind of you know let the occasion get to them um, and just play as they've been playing, and then they've got every chance, I think. Um, and the defeat for Liverpool, I would hope, would lead to a narrative forming that you know that they're perfectly mortal and perfectly beatable, and 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 that should be the case because we've lost six in the last twenty games now, Liverpool across all competitions. And if that was City, then we know how that would be betrayed in the press. So um, the same should be applied to Liverpool, I think, particularly if they lose against Everton, and of course. You know, importantly, because we could easily say, oh, of course Everton are going to win a league or, or Leicester or Villa or Spurs or anything like that. This is 2020. This is a batshit crazy year. And loads of weird circumstances, such as obviously no no fans. So it is a game changer. It is a diff- different metric that we have to be kind of looking at football right now, as illustrated by the 6-1 and the 7-2 from two weeks ago. So if Everton win, is it six or seven points to go above Liverpool? Um they yeah, have to lose by four to go below them. So. And a considerable amount ahead of City as well, it should be said as well. So, um, yeah, that, that would matter to Everton too. You know, a bit of distance at this point with the season as weird as it is, with the injuries that I would be expecting to happen in the next few months because players essentially now are just factory hens and they're human and they've got groins and hamstrings and they will go at some point. Um, yeah, if Everton win... I believe that they could be build up momentum and belief and have a really good season. If they lose, it could go completely the opposite of that, where they think, "Okay, we've had a good season. Uh, sorry, a good start to the season. We'll be fine this year." And you know, it's a very key game for me as regards to the mindset of two clubs and how they're perceived by the, the public and the media. Mm. Uh, Lloyd, your thoughts? Do do you take much? How much do you take from? that 7-2 result against Aston Villa for Liverpool they're still going to this as favourites big favourites you think do you think that's fair uh, yes probably because um, as Steve's alluded to Everton's record against Liverpool over the last what 15 years is terrible they've, they've lost or drew to Everton in the last 22 games yeah, they do, they haven't, I know this isn't good as, I mean to be honest 
where it is at the moment makes no difference, does it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, generally, their record is terrible. Um, but I do think that seven two. I think I, I said it at the time. I think it could potentially be very big um, for Liverpool. I think results and performances like that can kind of shatter confidence, not totally, but it can kind of leave scars. And you know, if similar things happen. Um, then it can, you know, it can open up old wounds, and I think most importantly, it shows to teams like Villa, and to be honest, good teams as well, uh, bigger teams, that there is a template there, um, and actually, if you get, you know, in that channel between Alexander Arnold and Gomez, actually, you can cause Liverpool a lot of problems. So, so I mean, it's an amazing chance for Everton if they if they can win. I mean, I could, I, the sky's kind of the limit, really. You know, if, you, if they go fifteen from fifteen, if they beat their biggest rivals, I feel mentally all the cobwebs could be off for Everton and um you know, I'm not saying they'll win the league, but you know, that that could really set them up for something very strong. And I actually think equally they've shown enough in the first four games this season that even if they do lose, I don't think they're gonna derail from here either. I think clearly they've they've struck on a very nice balance across the team. Um and I think, you know, apart from Calvert-Lewin getting injured they've got really good depth as well so I think, I think we could see a strong season from them I think Fight. the good is the, the no fans element is actually yeah. helping Everton um, Goodison Park is not a nice place to be when Everton are, are playing badly <laughs> honestly you think? Right. it's I'm just looking at the, but, uh, sorry, the Jack, result can I just say but to put in but in this circumstance do you think they'd have been a bit better if Everton had gone behind Going into it in a much better state than ever before, or do you think they'd still have been on the back? I think they'd still be on the. If you misplace a, someone, a former player said to me not so long ago that if you misplace a pass in yeah. the warm up, you get booed by the Gladys. <laughs> and um, rightly so. <laughs> but I'm just like looking at the, you know the West Brom game. They went down. They went one nil down early on. Brighton. The it, uh, Brighton scored about after about 40 minutes to make it one all you just wonder what the reaction would have been like with a full full house and whether they would have been able to get through those games I don't know and I just I, th- I think Everton it sounds it sounds awful really because obviously when Everton are good Goodison Park is such a wonderful place to go and watch football because they all pull together but it just takes one or two things or a square pass when he should play it through the lines or something and fans got on the back quite quite quickly and I, yeah I just I, you look at all those clubs and you say Everton are probably the ones that will benefit the most from playing in an empty stadium because they can go they can go and manage manage a game how, they, how Ancelotti wants to which is not necessarily the way that Everton supporters feel they should play it's all got to be quite blood and thunder and that's not yeah. Ancelotti yeah. I just I just think it's going to uh, might end up winning them a few points. In a, in a complete flip side to that, I think Ellen Road and the crowd at Ellen Road would keep Leeds up on their own. Whereas I think not having fans at Everton might yeah. be the difference for them. Just to extend on that, Jack, it was, um, a friend once said to me, have you ever noticed that Everton's the only fan base where you're talking about kind of watching them in, in pubs primarily? 
when they score, they don't celebrate. They just get more angry. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And it, like certainly my kind of blue nose mates, that's exactly what they do. If they score, it's like about time. Come on, they get really, really angry. Yeah, don't get me wrong. If I was a, you know, if I if I picked a picked a Premier League team to to support instead of the crap football league team that I do support, it'd be it'd be Everton. Yeah, They'd like I'd love you know you'd love to be an Everton fan when things are going well because it's such a community place and everyone's together. I I do love going there, but it is yeah it can be can be a tricky tricky environment. Yeah, better being in the home seats than the away seats because Jesus, <laughs> easily the worst away ending. Well, yeah, you can't see can you? Is terrible, no, terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's weird. I think about empty seats because I think before. Uh, empty stadiums it was always argued by quite a few that City would be the beneficiaries of an empty stadium because the clinical precise nature of their football and yet I just remember when we were 3-1 down at home to Leicester I knew I knew 100% we weren't coming back into that Just you could just tell there was just nothing in the team that was getting back into against an organised defence and yet with the crowd that day who knows it might have uh, definitely spurred the team on so a lot of a lot of the time, I think it's, you have to wait to see how games go to see if not having fans is a benefit or a disadvantage because sometimes they're obviously a huge bonus. But as Jack said, sometimes they're actually a curse for a team uh, and some players revel off it and some don't. So I think that's helped create some of these you know, kind of lottery of results and performances. So. Yeah, United aren't going to concede six, are they, against Spurs at home with, with a packed out Old Trafford? It just simply wouldn't happen. Yeah, we might well have got battered four one, but it's not going to be six one. No, no, because I don't think the heads would have gone down quite so easily, yeah, so exactly. quickly. Yeah. There has been a suggestion to me. Sorry, this this week I was talking to uh, a manager, and he was saying that the bigger the re- one of the reasons for these strange results is that the bigger players thrive on the crowd, and yeah. the players that probably aren't as technically good. Um, thrive without them because there's that there's not that added pressure of playing in front of a crowd and actually they are really responding to the fact that there's not that additional pressure around them which yeah, I, sure. I thought that was I was like I'd not even not even thought of that before you mentioned it yeah true right so I have a prediction then before score prediction Jack uh, two all <laughs> I'm going two all as well stay I'm afraid to say I think Liverpool win 3 1. I hope we don't, but I think they will. At Lloyd? Yeah, I think the Red Scars win 2 1. Hmm. Okay. Right, let's look at the big game. Arsenal, 5 30 kickoff, I think. Lloyd, you glad domestic football is back? Uh, yeah. Uh, I am. I'd, I'd like City to have a few more players available. For well, do you think feels... the break's actually helped us more than it's hindered us? Or? <clears throat> I think, yeah, I think we have been weirdly one of the big beneficiaries for a number of weird different reasons because we've had so many first team players back back at the CFA um, you know Laporte was, has been there because he didn't get picked by France Mendy Gundogan's been training there um, obviously Ferner's there Foden's been there because of his England exile um, Raz has been there because he because he's injured in quotation marks I'm sure Jack can provide a bit more of an update um, update on that Jesus has been there Aguero's been there so that's basically half the starting 11 if not more than half the starting 11 so mm. I think that's a massive benefit for us um, 
I think obviously the problem is that the Portugal guys have been around Ronaldo, so are they going to be able to play? Well, um, they played. They've played since then. So yeah, I know. But like, and they've returned negative tests. But a similar thing happened with Kieran Tierney, and he had to isolate. So I, but that's I Scottish. Know. I think that could be Scottish. Well, Arsenal are lobbying now to have him free for the match, so we'll see how yeah. that goes. So. Yeah, I mean, it, this is the problem. It's all a bit unclear, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. But but no, I do think actually for us. It, it could potentially be massive because you know you could have Gundogan, Aguero, um, potentially Jesus. Sounds unlikely on that front, but at least Gundogan, Aguero available for to start, which obviously we haven't had up until now. So um, you know, and I think we've missed both of those guys quite significantly this season so far. So um, yeah, big game. I think post Leeds, I, you know, I, I kind of felt. Remember doing the pod with you and Steve. I kind of felt before the Leeds game that that was a must win and obviously given what happened there okay great what happened the following day with Liverpool and United but I do kind of feel like we again we need to win this game which is slightly daunting given do we well. though like <laughs> no we don't we don't need to, like, we don't <laughs> you know need, my like, hatred of must do, win do you know what I mean like we, we don't need to win but I feel like if we're still on you know, if we draw, if we're on five points from twelve after four games, okay, we've got game in hand, but that just feels—I don't know. Even, even you, in even in this, what I think is going to be a league where you're going to—it's going to take less points to to win. I do yeah. feel like ultimately we should beat Arsenal at home, shouldn't we? I mean, we would we would normally expect to beat Arsenal at home, so. It kind of needs to be three points. I, I know you, this is a very circular conversation. <laughs> no, well, I'm mean. just I'll tie it in. Do you, are you still looking at just at what Liverpool's points tally is? So, not necessarily. No, because I, I, again, I think five points from twelve for, for in any season for Manchester City is patently not good enough, is it? No, but so, I mean, if we want to win the league, are you just? Are you just tallying us up against Liverpool, or do you really think we need to be looking at other teams as title rivals? I think at this stage it probably is just the Scousers, but I don't know. Spurs might make a bit of a surge. Everton, if they beat Liverpool, I mean, it's impossible to say. But I think yeah. at the moment you just you're basing it City Liverpool. Um, yeah, uh, Jack. Well, I mean, we just don't know what who's going to be available in these times. Who knows what? Peppel saying his press conference that six players have you know not trained very well and won't be considered or whatever someone struggling probably John Stones do you know do you have any information do you think we'll have a near full squad to choose from well, I, I assume squad. sorry that Jesus will not be he's no. not been training for long enough do you think most of the other players will be available uh, well the short answer is I don't know because I said before like I've barely paid any sort of attention to uh, domestic football in the last week um, because like players get tired we get tired being on the phone all day asking who's got a yeah. groin strain or whatever yeah. uh, I, you'd be surprised if De Bruyne plays um, given what happened what's uh, what's unfolded this week Sterling I would expect to play um, Aguero you'd think would be on the bench so there are you know there's it's like it's been for the last six months, isn't it? It's like a couple of bits of good news and then one bit of really bad news to go with it. Mm. Um, and they can't, you know, they're not. Pet won't be happy with the squad at his disposal at the moment because of the the issues he's had with uh, positive tests and 
niggles and fatigue and all that other stuff. I just, it's a really difficult game to predict. I think. Yeah. Um, well, here at ten o'clock on Friday morning, I think it's a really difficult game to predict before uh, before he talks um, this afternoon. And uh, you look at look at the two two games that they've played against Arsenal and Project Restart. They're like chalk and cheese, aren't they? Like, yeah, exactly. You just this is the thing. You just go into every game not not knowing what what you're what's about to what you're about to face. Yeah. Well, a lot mentioned the must-win aspects, but Champions League starts next week. Are you? Are, are we all agreed that? Well, Jack, do you agree that Kevin De Bruyne? If there's any doubt whatsoever, then we simply must not play him. Yeah, if, yeah. If there's any doubt about De Bruyne, it doesn't. You, you can't because it's a. It's still a long season. Well, not a long season, but a, there are so many games to play, um, and if he's not right for Saturday. Maybe then you look at it and go, it's probably not right for midweek either. Uh, because if they lose De Bruyne for any sort of extended period of time, they're, they're cooked, aren't they? They're- but it's a fatigue in a way. I've heard Kevin De Bruyne talk about this in the past that for two months of the season, you know, you're firing and then you're literally on autopilot for six months because of the schedule and that you're just fighting fatigue, mental and physical. If it's just fatigue and he's not feeling anything, I think he should be rested anyway. You know, even mm, if there's yeah. no inflammation, pain, whatever. But I think he would be okay by the time next Wednesday comes around because that's well over a week without any football. So, but yeah, uh, I think it's. It'll be interesting to see how they approach the Champions League matches mm. because they should obviously they should get out of that group easily. Now, does he rotate heavily for the European games because the Premier Not League? Take... <laughs> Not for the first two games, no. But it's. Uh, they're every week, aren't they? I know, but you want the points on the board in a way, and it's Porto is the top seed first. I know, but in the first know. couple of weeks, while they've got issues with injuries yeah, and whatever else, it's, I don't, it's a really, really difficult thing for him to manage. You yeah. don't envy him at all. Uh, Steve, but just touched on that semi-final defeat. Is that playing on your mind when you think about... I mean, we've already said you cannot predict how this is going to go in a way. It's just so hard to predict games at the moment. But does it play in your mind how poor City were in that semi-final or is that just a different period? Yeah, I mean, obviously we beat them in the league but that was the very first game back after the restart and kind of take very little from that. Well, (coughs) excuse me, it's difficult because, you know, you you look at, say, Leicester, you know, 5-2 beating City away and then a few days later kind of losing 3-0 at home to West Ham within the space of like a week whereas, you know, we're looking at back at a game which was you know, several months ago, um, in this climate, it's really hard to kind of find rhyme or reason and consistency. Um, so it is difficult. But what I do think will be playing on, or what I do think that Pep will be mindful of, is how basically Arsenal really went after kind of our, our defensive midfield um, mm. in that FA Cup semi. Um, so whether, but that can mean one or two things. Basically, he's going to play a double pivot. Or it could be, and I don't believe he's going to play a double pivot against Arsenal. I don't think it's in his best interest to. So that's why the return of Gundo is, is really important because I, I think um, a key thing for City might well be to have kind of, you know, say let's say Foden start and Rodri. I think Gundo will be the one who'll dip in into that def- you know, kind of deeper role as and when needed just to offer a little bit more protection, a bit kind of, um, and to help Rodri out. So I think that's going to be a key aspect, really, in midfield. I know it's a cliche to say it's going to be one or lost in midfield, but in this instance, I really do 
I think that's going to be the case. So I think just that one aspect will certainly be playing on Pep's mind. But then we battered them when, when we came back in the league, didn't we? So, yeah, it's, it's really hard to look back at previous fixtures and equate it to what we're going to see this weekend. Particularly, as you said, with so many players either returning or, you know, just the uncertainty surrounding, you know, who's going to be available. Uh, Lloyd, how do you think Pep will set up the team? Are you worried? The thing that Arteta is, he's been quite pragmatic and he's set his team back deep and that gets me thinking about the Leicester game immediately. Are you worried that a deep-sitting team could pick us off on the break? Is it an issue that we'll face again? Or Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Arsenal have got the players for that as well, haven't they? Um, yeah. Good pace up front. Um, and Ketty has obviously bagged loads of goals for the under-21s in the break. Aubameyang is incredibly dangerous and always seems to play well against us. So, yeah, definitely. I, I think you know, it'd be interesting to see whether Partey starts. I think he's, um, you know, he's kind of, you know, a game like this is almost perfect for him to come in and try and make his debut, basically try and shit out City's midfielders and, you know, use his technical skill and break the press and kind of set the, the pace merchants on their way. Um, so, yeah, in terms of our team, I think I'd be surprised to see, I don't think Foden will play in midfield um, after what happened with Leeds. I don't think it's the kind of game that um, that that Phil would probably play as a number eight. I think it'll be. I imagine. Oh, he's, someone got some wind chimes there. Eh? Is, <laughs> is someone in the is someone in the grocers or something? <laughs> no, that was sorry, lads. That was my phone. Apologies. <laughs> um, that's very eclectic, Steve. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I would imagine it'll probably be something like Rodri, Gundo, Bernardo in midfield, um, and then maybe. <clears throat> You know, Sterling and Sterling up front with with Foden and Mara's wide. I, I would have thought something like that. Maybe Torres instead. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't. I can't see him playing Phil in midfield, but I, I do imagine he'll start. So, do you think yeah, his stuff's gone collection. down a bit, Phil's or? No, no, no. I just think not at all. I mean, he started every game. I think so yeah. far for us. So clearly not. I just think. Um, I think it's Sam that that spoke about it. Um, about kind of the certain games that Phil will play in that position, I, I don't, I don't think that Arsenal at home for us is one where without De Bruyne, Phil's going to be trusted to be, say, the guy in midfield alongside a double pivot of Gundo and Rodri. I just can't see that. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he'll, he'll end up playing out wide. So I imagine that's how the team will probably look. Jack, the Portuguese trio seem to be doing quite well internationally. Anyway, do you think mm-hmm. uh, they've all got a Shout now to get get in the team. Bernardo yeah, think, seems to have yeah. a bit of zip about him, which we desperately need this season after last mm. season. Yeah, I th- I th- Cancelo will be uh, interested to see if he if he gets in. Um, I I mean I'm I'm ready to be completely wrong here, but I just wonder whether it might be the return of three at the back on Saturday, and he mm. plays Diaz Laporte and Ake. Um, particularly if De Bruyne doesn't play which I don't think he will will he um, I think maybe it's going to be three five, possibly 3-5-2 with Foden and Sterling up front um, so you don't think Aguero will start so. no no no. I'd, I'd be shocked if he did um, just because it, it. they've said many times and I think Aguero said it himself that it takes him 
takes him a while to get up to speed. I just don't think starting him against Arsenal is is likely. I mean, I just like just, just, I've got an eleven here for a three-five-two, which is Edison, Diaz, Laporte, Ake, Walker, Gundogan, Rodri, Bernardo, Mendy, and then Foden and Sterling mm. would be a guess, but it doesn't look Fernandinho, that creative. Maybe. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. For him. Yeah. Um, but it just, there's not that much creativity in that team without Mares and uh, no Torres. I don't know. It's a difficult one to predict. I mean, they all are, aren't they? But yeah, and it's hard. I mean, but yeah, I'd be surprised if Mares stays in the team because it's just. I don't think he's carried on the form of last season yet. No, so, not at all. Uh, he's had a bit of travelling as well, hasn't he? Yeah, and Torres obviously he's a unknown. Yeah, obviously we've brought him as a prospect, so who knows when he will appear. It's, I mean, even during normal times, predicting the team was impossible. <laughs> so, so doing it during at the moment is just even more impossible. Yeah, impossible squared basically. But uh, Steve, do you? How important is this? T- is this game for you? Or I still keep beating the drum that I just, I think, eighty points might win a league this season and. I kind of welcome these these competitive games where every game seems tough. Uh, does it feel that important to you, or do we have to wait and see how the earlier game goes first? A lot, you know. I just basically just. I'm wondering, has this been a tough start for City as well? Because I just thought about this earlier in the the week. So we've played Wolves. Leicester, Leeds and Arsenal now that's a tough run but it also doesn't include like Liverpool Everton, Spurs, United so has it been a tough run or have we got a competitive Premier League here that we've not seen before? Oh, I don't know you'll always get your, your Fulhams <laughs> Well yeah but I mean we've had four, yeah, the four tough games but I could name you four other very tough games that we haven't played yet yeah. so I just think maybe it, it will even out this table this season, but I said that previous season and was proved completely wrong. So, well, I, I'm genuinely under the um, the belief that we could be looking at a kind of an extraordinary season, really, in many ways, um, and it stands to reason we're seeing an extraordinary season right now. So, why shouldn't it follow that that might kind of translate into league placings? You know, I'm, I'm not getting carried away and suggesting anything, you know, abnormal, but I do believe that it'll be a, a different kind of top six at the end of the season to what many people were expecting. Um, I expect, you know, maybe two teams to be in that top six. It will be a big surprise to people, you know, namely kind of Everton. Um, and who's to say, you know, Aston Villa at this point is looking good. Again, I'm not getting carried away, but... Yeah. Um, so where does City fall into that? Well, I think that Liverpool are just starting to show a little bit of wear and tear. Now, you've got to balance that out with how phenomenal they've been and how phenomenal they are. Um, But they are showing signs of wear and tear. Um, And I keep reading about how Liverpool are going to be a wounded animal this weekend against Everton. Well, you can flip that completely and say that, you know, the Premier League is a very predatory kind of um, league where if they smell weakness on you, they'll pounce. And right now, teams can smell a little bit of weakness on Liverpool. We saw last season the delight that opposing teams, particularly when they came to the Etihad, you know, we can get at them. They've, they've punished us for the last two years. They've made us look like mugs. We can we can get a bit of revenge here. 
So I think a lot of teams are going to be out for Liverpool this year. I don't think Liverpool are going to win the league. I just think it's going to be a really weird season and I would put Spurs up there. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm answering a previous question to what you asked Lloyd, I think, where um, as regards to concentrating on Liverpool's result and how important that is. Yeah. No, not really, I don't think. I think this season it's about looking after yourself. The yeah. key thing for me for City right now and which what makes this a, a, not a must win but an almost must win is you can't be really lagging behind in what will be a very surreal weird unique season and brutal yeah yeah and, and brutal it's not like, to mention yeah. brutal absolutely so not you like, can't lag behind it's, um, it's not the days of going on a 20 match winning run is it it's exactly not, and to, to need anything close to that would just be you know it's too yeah. much with, with everything else because you don't know you don't know in at the end of November you know five or six of your players could come down with Covid we are in a unique situation here so yeah it's in that regard it's an almost must win um, because we've dropped points already and we can't drop further points Fair enough. But yeah, I think you aim for aim for two points a game, and anything else is a bonus. Yeah, mm. I mean, two points yeah. is failure in previous seasons. You know, yeah. big failure. But <clears throat> I'm still, I still think, there's, yeah, you, you try to it, keep competitive that this season. Yeah, that's going to uh, be hard enough to do this season. Just and that, get consistency. Yeah. And that's for Liverpool. I think if they were a wounded animal, maybe the international break has not helped at all. To be honest, but sometimes you need to play again quickly. But we will see. We'll see how that goes. Should be a, a fascinating match anyway, because obviously two managers know each other inside out. It'll be like a chess match, very tactical. Uh, let's hope it's a great watch. Right, time to wrap it up. Time is beating us. Uh, Jack, thanks very much for coming on today. Thank you very much. Uh, Steve, thank you very much as well. Pleasure, mate. And Lloyd, thank you for coming on. Cheers, Alan. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you enjoy the match as well at the weekend. Those more shows coming up, of course, uh, of... Review of the match, preview, Champions League coming thick and fast. Uh, no respite whatsoever. Proper football is back. Thanks for listening. Take care. Stay, stay safe. And as always, up the blues.